Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I've been presenting a series of programs on the subject of spiritual warfare, and today's program is a continuation in this series. But for this program, what I would like to start with is I would like to start with trying to give you a little bit of an explanation as to why some people, certainly not all, but why it is that some people will pursue the subject of spiritual warfare, why they will do this very aggressively, why they believe that this is very important to them personally. I would like to talk about that from a different point of view than the way that I've talked about it so far. I'd like to talk about it from the perspective of the fact that we know As Christians, as believers, we know that there is something unique, that there is something very special about the Christian life, that there is something very unique and very special about having a true God, a God who wants to have a personal interactive relationship with us. We have some expectations about being a Christian. We expect that we are going to experience some peace and rest in the innermost part of our being. We expect our life to be different from how it was before we were saved. We really do. And this is not unrealistic. I do believe that this is a realistic expectation and that we should hold on to that. We should recognize that there should be something unique and different about the Christian life. But unfortunately, for some, and I know this might sound a little awkward because you're listening to this program right now and you might be struggling, you might be wrestling with this with this issue of you know that there must be something more to the Christian life, but you just haven't quite found it yet. You haven't quite experienced it yet to your satisfaction. It might help to know that there are many other people who are listening to this right now, and they also are wrestling with this question. They're struggling with this question, knowing that there must be something more to the Christian life than just this, but they don't know what that is. They have not experienced that yet. They can see that there is a promise of its reality, but it has not been realized for them. And it may not be real for you either. Now listen, I want you to understand that by saying this, I'm not trying to be rude and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. On the contrary, I want you to know that if you will at least acknowledge this, then there can be more hope. There can be an understanding that at least you recognize that there is something more, that you have not quite seen it yet. And I am here for the purpose of trying to bridge that gap between what you do not have and do not know and do not experience to what you can have, you can know, and you can experience. One of the ways of describing many of the contributions that I have made through this radio program is to describe this as a way of taking away barriers. A lot of the work that I have done has been presented with the intent of taking away the barriers that keep people from walking in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. So I have done a lot of work on this subject. Of course, I really want to encourage you to listen to the radio archive that I have produced that's available for free on the Internet and explore the programs that I have done. 
In this program, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to go so far as to explain to you the ways that people might be able to begin to enter into the newness of life in a way that they have not before. Now, of course, I do have some limitations. I'm not God. I can only testify of the truth that I know. I can take away the barriers with regards to the things that people believe that just simply are not true. I can speak about those things. There is a limit. I can testify, but the Lord himself will have to do a work with you. But for this program instead, what I would really like to address is what people do instead, or what people do when they recognize that there is something missing. What is the alternative? How will they make their decisions to try and achieve that which they know is real, that should be real, but is not yet real in their life? Well, in the previous program, I hinted at this a little bit. I spoke about the Sabbath law. I spoke about the Sabbath law by asking the question, did God create us to observe the Sabbath law in order to make the Sabbath law special? Just to give you a simple example. And the verse that I was referring to in the previous program with regards to this was found in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, where it says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And, of course, I'm just reading this one verse. There's a lot there that you should take the time to explore and consider and pray about and ask the Lord what was really going on, what was he seeing when he was there ministering in this way. But what I would like to express at this time concerning this is that the Sabbath law was made for us. We were not made for the Sabbath law in the sense that we were not made so that we could observe the Sabbath law and therefore declare that the Sabbath law is now special. The Sabbath law is special because we are the ones who make it special, because we are the ones who observe it. That's what I was explaining. But what I would like to say in this program is to look at it from a slightly different point of view, that people will look at the Sabbath law from the point of view that they are empty inside, that they really feel that something is missing. And so maybe, this is the belief that many will have, maybe... If I pursue obedience to the Sabbath law, maybe then I'll feel close to God. Maybe then God will show himself to me. Now, I can speak of this with great sincerity because I myself pursued the Sabbath law in this way at a certain time in my life. And so I can certainly relate to what I'm saying, of course. But what I want you to consider is that people will pursue the Sabbath law out of great sincerity with the hope, with the expectation that through their obedience they might be able to achieve or experience that which they know they should be experiencing in the Christian life, but are not. They might believe that the reason why the Lord is not relating to them in a personal way, it might be just because they're not observing the Sabbath law. And so maybe if they'll do that, then he will speak to them, then he will reveal himself to them. This is the belief that many people have. They are trying to fulfill the deepest needs of their heart. They're trying to fill the emptiness that exists within their spirit, within their soul, within the depths of their being. They're trying to do something because they do not have a real relationship with their God and they believe that in this way they might be able to obtain or achieve it. Spiritual warfare can be looked at from the same point of view, that people will pursue the knowledge of, or they will pursue the activities of spiritual warfare with the expectation that maybe if we do this, maybe if we participate in this, that this can be the door 
or this may be the opening, or this may be the way to open the door into the newness of life that we know should be real, but we are not yet experiencing it. There are many other subjects that people pursue in order to fulfill this emptiness that they have. Probably the most popular, if I was to pick one, would be the subject of prophecy. I would say that that probably is the most popular. And of course, there is nothing wrong with pursuing a knowledge of prophecy. What I'm saying is, is that there are many people who pursue a knowledge of prophecy because they know that there must be something more to the Christian life. They are not experiencing it, and so they believe that if they will pursue a knowledge of prophecy and live their life with a dependency on the certain prophetic views of eschatology or whatever that they have, then perhaps they might experience some peace and rest and a relationship with God that they were not experiencing before. Spiritual warfare is not as popular as prophecy, but it still is very real. Obedience to the commandments of God the Sabbath law, for example, is probably in competition with the subject of prophecy for being more popular. I'm not quite sure. It would depend on to what degree or to what magnitude a person would be wanting to pursue obedience and repentance above and beyond prophecy. That's a hard one. I'm not sure I would be able to say with confidence from my own experience, I would not be able to say with confidence which one would be more popular. But Right now, I'm going to stay focused on the subject of spiritual warfare. I just wanted to refer to these other things in order to try to help give you a frame of reference and so that you might understand what might motivate a lot of people to pursue this. There is a difference between having a relationship with your God, knowing your God, and being a participant in the activities that he is involved in. There is a difference, enough of a difference, in order for me to mention that and say, do not replace one for the other. First, establish a sound and healthy relationship with your God personally, and then you will appreciate more the kinds of activities that he allows you to participate in, especially those activities related so directly to the kinds of conflicts that we are in when it comes to the subject of spiritual warfare. Now, having said all of that, what I would like to mention just briefly before I proceed is that we really need to identify and recognize our personal responsibility concerning these things. We must acknowledge that we are making choices. We are making decisions. We are choosing what to believe, what not to believe. We're choosing where to put our time, where not to put our time. You have to recognize that you do have some control when it comes to these things, that you do have some decisions to make when it comes to these kinds of things. As a result, you are responsible for your decisions, and you need to embrace that. I really believe that it's important to embrace your personal responsibility when it comes to these kinds of issues in your life, that we all need to embrace this. We have the authority to decide what we are going to do and what we are going to believe, and because of that authority, we have corresponding responsibility for our decisions with regards to these things. I'm not saying that in the context of you're going to be accountable for failure or you are going to have to give an answer for the decisions that you make. I'm not saying it from that point of view. I'm saying it from the point of view of you need to embrace your personal responsibility concerning your own faith, concerning what you believe, because in the end, you're the only one who's really going to be affected by that. 
And I mean that in the sense that you're not going to be standing there with me. You're not going to be standing there with your pastor. You're not going to be standing there with your neighbor. You're going to be with your God, and it's just going to be you and him. And that will be realized when you finally pass from this life into the next. And so why wait? What are you waiting for? Live in that truth. Live in that reality right now. There are many ways that people try to shift their responsibilities. You know, there are a lot of theologies that suggest that we have no free will, for example. There are some theologies that suggest that we have such free will that God is not participating at all. Those kinds of theologies take away a lot, take away so much in many cases, that I don't think a person can recognize and embrace their own responsibility and their own authority adequately to be able to pursue these things. They can very easily become paralyzed, paralyzed in their faith and become very ineffective, which in many ways is a victory for the devil and his demons when it comes to this kind of a battle. Another struggle that people have, not just theological struggles, but another kind of struggle has to do with shifting blame. And this is another aspect of avoiding personal responsibility. Try to recall what happened between Adam and Eve and the devil and the serpent. What happened between them? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the devil. You know, everybody's looking for somebody to blame. Adam blamed God and he blamed Eve. In the same sentence, he said, the woman that you gave me, you know, he said two people in the same sentence. He refers to two people in order to shift blame. We must take personal responsibility for ourselves and for our own beliefs. If we don't, I think we can be easy victims in the battle that we are really engaged in. So these were a couple of items that I just wanted to mention before I proceed in this subject. Now, in this program, in order to proceed with this subject, what I would like to try to approach is the subject of the objectives of the devil. What kinds of objectives might he have? You know, that's a very interesting question. I think it's a very interesting question about what kinds of objectives does the devil and his demons truly have? What are they really doing and why? What are the goals that they are trying to achieve and how are they going to accomplish those goals. You know, for us, we tend to live with a lot of uncertainty. We live with a lot of uncertainty, not just because we don't know what the goals are, but sometimes when we might identify a goal, as I described earlier, we might have a goal of wanting to have a personal relationship with our God, but we may have different ideas concerning how we might be able to accomplish that goal. It's very important to consider these things. Sometimes it's important to consider these things just to see and understand that we might have a number of unanswered questions. We might have a tremendous amount of uncertainty in terms of what we believe and how we are going to live our lives. And I've spoken about this a lot in previous programs where I describe the issues related to being uncertain about some things, certain about other things, and how do you, how do you get along in life? How do you proceed? How do you live in the midst of all of the uncertainties? The important thing, of course, is to identify those things that you can be certain of and live according to those things. If you don't have clear objectives, at least you may be certain that you need to obtain a clear objective of some kind and then identify steps in order to achieve that objective and start with something. Start with something small, something simple. You will not be able to achieve all at once. So also it is with the devil. The devil 
in my opinion, is a lot more certain about the things that he is doing than we are. He has clear objectives, and I am going to speculate on a few, but I believe that he has testified about some of his objectives, and so I can at least spend some time focusing on those. But I think it's critical for us to really consider what these objectives might be, what he's really trying to accomplish. It can help us continue to live our lives with at least an acknowledgement of what those around us are occupied with. In the midst of us being preoccupied with a lot of different things, when recognizing that we are not alone, that there are others around us, that we are a part of not only a physical world, but we are also a part of a spiritual world at the same time. It can help us to refocus and to determine clearer objectives in our lives and in our minds. And so I'd like to mention that as something that I believe you should think about. Now, as I've referred to the devil and I've referred to his demons... There are many people who take the position that he really isn't a real person. I mentioned this in the first program in this series. I mentioned that the devil is not some kind of a virus. You know, he's not cooties. He's not just some abstract idea. He's not just some kind of bacterial infection of some kind. He is a real person. He is a real person, but he's a spiritual being. He does not have the same physical constructs that we have. But he is a real individual in the sense that he has a mind, he has emotions, and he has a will. He has a mind to think with, he has emotions that will respond according to what it is that he is thinking, and he has a will to choose with, and he makes choices according to his values, according to his objectives. Therefore, if you are going to recognize that he is in existence and that you are participating in a world that he also is participating in, it might be helpful to have an appreciation for his interests, for his objectives, for the things that he is trying to accomplish. Now, the other thing that I do, which can sometimes be a little awkward, is I refer to the devil in a collective sense, because in many cases that's how he's referred to. There is a collection of demons There is a huge collection of demons in addition to the devil. One-third of the angels fell from their position with the living God who followed the beliefs that Satan perpetuated. And I refer to Satan and the devil interchangeably, uh, synonymously. But he's not alone. We have a collection of demons, and they do all have a common goal in many ways, a common abstract idea, a common philosophy that they live by but they do it individually in addition to doing it collectively. We have beings that we are surrounded by who have their interests in mind when they relate to us and they relate to each other. So I wanted to mention that again, that there is a real devil. He's a real person, and there are many demons who are following his beliefs. Now, in programs 6 and 7, I emphasized that he wants to be like God. 
And so if we recognize that he wants to be like God, we also have to consider what are the different ways that he wants to be like God. And I explained in previous programs the concept that he wants to portray his image just as God created man in his image to be a reflection of himself. So also in order to be like God, he could very well be pursuing a relationship with us in such a way that he would be reflecting himself within and through us. I also want you to consider program 8, where God was talking with the devil. In program 8, I referred to the book of Job. Now, if you've got a person talking to God, he certainly is not some abstract philosophy or idea. He's not a virus. He really is a real person, a real entity. And if he declares that he wants to be like the Most High then we really need to consider that, and we really need to consider how he would be pursuing that and what he might be doing in order to achieve that kind of an objective. The other thing that I want to mention is that there is definitely an organized effort, and in Program 10, I introduced this with regards to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have the description of a hierarchy where we have principalities and powers. They are well-organized. Organized for what? Organized in order to achieve their objectives. Achieve their objectives collectively as well as individually. Now, their objectives can best be summarized. I believe they can best be summarized in the context of what the devil proclaimed that he wanted to be like the Most High. And I believe that the rest of his demons are following along with him according to a similar paradigm, not for the purpose of looking to him as being the new Most High, but that they all want to collectively experience in their own ways what it would be like for themselves to be like the Most High. That is what I believe is taking place collectively with all of the demons, that they are working together for this purpose and so that they all might have a taste of what it's like to be like the Most High. Now, I'm going to mention a number of things for the rest of this program. They will have some very profound implications. And so do the best you can to stay with me and not get distracted by something I say. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on some of the other things I'm going to say before the end of this program. Staying with the theme of the demons trying to be like God, how might they be trying to accomplish that? Or what would it look like in order to say that they have accomplished that? For example, are they interested in people consulting them? Do the demons want us to look to them for knowledge, for insights, for information concerning how we would live our lives? Well, they can provide some information. Consider what the devil said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said that if you only know what is good and evil, then you can be like God. Well, who is making that information available By default, it is the devil. It is the devil and his demons who people may look to in order to obtain insights concerning what is good, what is evil. Now, we certainly have the law of Moses. We have the law that God gave through Moses that we can look to. We don't have to consult demons in order to determine what is the definition of that which is good and that which is evil. But sometimes, because of the philosophy that people have, because of their paradigm, because of the way that they believe they should be living, 
They might as well consult demons. They might as well because they are still living according to the satanic lie of if you only know what is good and evil, then you can be like God. You can be a good Christian. You can be a good person. It is the same philosophical content. So while a person might believe that they are consulting the living God, when it comes to the question of what is good and what is evil, they might very well look at the law that he wrote. I can understand that. But because of the intent of the heart, the Lord never gave those laws for the purpose of making you a better person. He gave the laws in order to show that you cannot be a better person. And so if the intent behind a person's heart is that this is the means by which they can be a better person or the means by which they can be right with God or sustain their righteousness with God or avoid his punishment per se. If this is the attitude that a person has, they might as well be consulting demons. And in this abstract way, I could easily suggest that the demons are absorbing the attitude that people have feeling that they are God, because while we might believe that we are consulting with the living God for how we might live our Christian life, because he did not give the law for us to live our Christian life, we might as well be worshiping the devil. We might as well be worshiping the demons. They are the ones who are able to absorb our interest. We are being led by them in that abstract sense. We can be led by the demons or they can feel as if they are leading us even though we think that we are being led by our God to live a life of repentance and obedience in the new covenant. We may think that, but it is a lie. So we are living, we are the ones who are by default living a lie, living according to something that is not true. And the demons can claim a form of credit. The demons can experience a form of credit that may be credited to them because they were the ones through the devil himself who initiated this false belief. So it is through the initiation of the false belief that when people live according to that false belief, we are by default being led by the one who initiated that false belief, and so we are being led by the devil and his demons, and they can by default experience that and feel like they are the Most High. We may be thinking that we are being led by the Most High, but because we are actually being led by them by default, it is our deception, but they get to experience credit. It's a very awkward way of looking at this, and so I will, of course, continue in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.